That was really, really awesome. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you guys doing that. I was just gauging my own strength. Like, can I? One hand. That was awesome. And I love, I love this about our church. I love that as a church who truly wants to be a family, a church where all generations can glorify the Lord, like our kids are huge to us. I love the Carterville kids. I love seeing you guys lead in worship. So thanks a ton for that. Um, kind of another family matter is that a couple of our guys um, who've been deployed for a year are back now. Shane Coleman's back. Cody Brown's back. Zach Bourbon's back. All three of those guys are back. So welcome home. Yep. That, uh, that's pretty solid. That's good. Hey, we love you guys. We really appreciate your service. Um, I know that, that Shane was with us last week, and Cody and Zach got back this week, so we're glad. And keep in mind that we got two brothers who are deployed right now and another brother leaving in May. So we've got our work cut out for us to continue to pray for our deployed brothers and sisters that are serving from our church family. We love them. You know, your Sunday school class may want to think about um, getting a routine of sending boxes to some of these guys. Happy to tell you how to get in touch with Ricky Davis or Blake Potter. Um, and Mark Wedgworth's headed out in May. So, you know, we're happy to help you guys be able to minister to these and pray for them while they're out. All right, well, our sermons uh, for the next couple of weeks, are, they're called the Great Exchange. And essentially, this is what we're doing. We're opening the Bible to Matthew 16 to what I think is the foundational story for the birth of our Christian hope. Like, if you follow Jesus, well, this story is where that was born for you. One of the most important stories in the Gospels. This will lead us to our Easter sermon in two weeks. So today I want you to think about with me what it means to follow Christ. You're here today. You woke up this morning. You served all week. You've said your prayers. You've read scriptures. You've tried to be faithful to the Lord in a thousand ways. And it doesn't matter if you're a fourth grader or if you're 40 or if you're 94. You're trying to follow the Lord. That's what we're doing together in this community, in this New Testament body of believers. You're trying to follow the Lord. Well, sometimes that's easy, sometimes it's hard. But just to launch this sermon, like one thing you're going to see right here in Matthew chapter 16 that I want every one of us to wrestle with is just, a, I guess, really this sort of simple question. So, are you following Jesus? Like, are you following Jesus? And if you are following Jesus, that's great. If you're not following Jesus, then come on, like this is the morning, today's the day for you to say, all right, I'm ready. How do I do this? But are you following Jesus? The follow-up question is like, which Jesus? What I mean by which Jesus? I mean, are you following the real Jesus or one you like better? All right, let me share with you what I mean because the weight of this sermon is going to turn around three verses in Matthew 16. When Peter, the apostle, has to come with grip to grips with the fact that the Jesus that he has wanted is not the real Jesus. The real Jesus is better than that. But the real Jesus is also harder to follow than that. Like he's going to find, Peter's going to have his world wrecked today when Peter realizes that following Jesus was a little bit more than he thought, a little harder than he thought. And he's going to have to come to terms with a weird kind of idolatry. And that is where he's decided to just make Jesus in his own image. And so I want to ask us today, listen, are you and I guilty of making Jesus in our own image? Here's what it looks like if you are. So we've got the whole Bible with verses about Jesus, things he did, things he taught, and then letters about him from the disciples that followed him. 
We've got all this material about Jesus, and some of it is hard. Leave everything and follow me. Some of it's really tough, like count the cost. Are you sure you're in this? Take up your cross and follow me. Forgive and stop counting. Seventy times seven, forgive. If you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. Some of Jesus' teachings are super hard. Well, some of the things that Jesus does in our culture are beautiful, beautiful. Like that he, he, he loves us, he cares for the poor, he sees us when nobody else sees. Like he forgives and forgives and forgives. He's got so much room for sinners like me. So here's how we make Jesus in our own image. We take all this wealth of material about Jesus, the good and the bad. Well, then we decide what we like and what we don't like. And so we take all the stuff that we don't like and we turn down the volume on those stories. We read right over them, right past them, and never talk about them. We find the stuff that we do like, which basically the stuff that lines up really well with who we already are. We turn the volume up on those stories. We tell them a lot. We read them a lot. We use them a lot. And over a short period of time, we start to gravitate towards the part of Jesus that we liked. And we mute the parts of Jesus that we don't like. This is easy because it means we never have to do anything that we don't want to do to follow Jesus. We just do the things that were already easy for us, but we accidentally make Jesus into our own image. Just a little fun uh, experiment to launch our Bible study. You know, when we try to think about who Jesus is, we've got tons of images of Jesus. Uh, here's one. I'll fire him. Pat, will you help me out a little bit? Here's a couple of pictures of Jesus. This is uh, kind of similar to the Jesus that I grew up with. You know, there's the burning heart Jesus. But, I mean, I know he's got this well-conditioned, beautiful, fine brown hair with, you know, wavy locks, well-trimmed beard. He's looking fantastic. And he's just, you know, beautiful ivory complexion. For the white kid growing up in Mississippi, like that was the Jesus I always saw was the super white Jesus. When I look at people who live in the Middle East, generally they're not the super white Jesus. But that's the Jesus that was crafted after my own image, right, that I grew up with on the walls in our church. Uh, in other churches, you know, this is what Jesus looks like. You got the black Jesus. I mean, if I was a black guy, I would have the black Jesus on the wall in my church, just like we had the white Jesus. Probably neither one of these are really that accurate. But if you go around the world, we just keep doing this and we keep doing this. We're determined for Jesus to be more like us. Like we're determined not to take the Jesus that was, but to figure out how to make the Jesus more like us. Here's a couple of more pictures. This is fun. This is from Ethiopia. Here's um, how the Ethiopians remember Jesus. No surprise, he looks a little bit Ethiopian there, you know. This is how the Mongolians remember Jesus. Um, if you've ever seen the people of Mongolia, there's Jesus who looks very Mongolian. He's got the little Fu Manchu kind of rocking with the stash. He could trim away some of the beard and he would be totally legit. Well, that's the Mongolian Jesus. And uh, here's the Indian Jesus, my favorite, the blue Jesus. I love the Indian Jesus because I thought that was super creative. That's really, really cool. Jesus from around the globe. And, and I don't care if people make him look in a picture like they look, that's fine. But the question is, on a much heavier level, like have you made him like you in his teachings and in what he expects of us? Here's why this matters. The story we're going to read today in Matthew 16, it matters a ton because the Jesus that you wind up with is the Jesus you're going to be following. And so for the entire future of your Christianity, getting Jesus right is the bedrock. 
If you twist the image of Jesus up, you make him too hard, well, then you're going to be an awfully hard-hearted Christian. Make him too soft, well, then you're going to be a Christian who never stopped to count the cost. If you cut out any aspect of the Jesus that really was, you're going to wind up with a Jesus in your image, a nice one that you like a lot. Watch this. He'll vote the way you vote. He'll understand your point of view, like basically you'll be right in every argument, and your Jesus will be in your back corner going, that's exactly right, I understand exactly where you're coming from. They are so hard-headed. He votes like you, he agrees with you. He's frustrated with sin in the world, just not your versions of sins. He's frustrated with the sins that bother you, but he's fine with your sins. If you make Jesus in your own image, like if you take him away from who he really was, you'll have a Messiah. It's just not the one God sent to save us. And as a result, the entire rest of your Christian journey is going to be extremely handicapped. And I'm not really sure if you're going to be on God's mission or your own. We have this tendency to make Jesus in our own image. And today I'm going to ask you not to. Today, as a church, would you stop and think about whether or not you'd be willing to follow the real Jesus and do all the things that he asks of you, that, that, that from this point forward, you'd refuse to mute the commands that are hard for you. You wouldn't turn your head from the teachings that are difficult, but you'll follow Jesus all in. Are we all in? I want you to follow Jesus, just not a phony one. So let me pray for that, and then we'll start our study of Matthew 16. Father, I stand in front of my brothers and my sisters, and today, Lord, I pray that you would pierce my own arrogance as if I uniquely know who Christ was. I confess I don't. I submit myself to the Scriptures, Lord, to your teaching, to your Spirit, and I pray that I would be the first among sisters and brothers to feel the weight, Lord, of following Christ as he was. Today, Lord, we see ourselves in Peter's footprints, and I pray, Lord, that you would rescue us, that you'd deliver us. Lord, we ask for your grace as we study Matthew 16. God, I ask if there's anybody that's here with us today who's not a believer, somebody who's never given their life to follow Jesus, I ask today, Lord, that you'd give them the gift of your Holy Spirit. It's by your grace, Lord, you'd nudge them and bring them to adoption into your family, that you would call them to you. Father, I pray also for those of us who are following you, that today your Spirit would stir in us, that you'd show us our sin, and that you would help us to chase after you with the years that we have left. We ask your blessings on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 16. Peter the Apostle is our character today. And I want you to know that last week in our sermon, Peter had his best five minutes ever. Like he was the teacher pet. He hit the walk-off home run last week. Last week, he was appointed first chair Last week was Peter's best day ever. Last week in our sermon, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? They gave some answers. Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Pete, I'm going for my water bottle. And Peter, just in case you're curious. And Peter, and Peter said, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at Peter and basically gave him his best moment. He said, all right, Simon, blessed are you because this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. And then he nicknames, he says, so from now on, I'm going to call you the rock, Peter. That's what his name means, right? The rock. I'm going to call you the rock. And on this foundation, I'll build my church. 
And Peter's like, yeah, yeah. And then Jesus goes on, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, loose in heaven. Peter is having his best day ever. And in the next scene, Peter has one of his worst days ever. Let's take a look at why the change. Matthew 16, verse 21. Well, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. In your Bible, it says from that point on or that day on. In our last scene, Jesus asked the disciples who he was. They said, Messiah. Okay, so half of the job is done. The twelve have figured out that Jesus is from God. He's the anointed one. But now the second half of the job is in front of them. They've got to figure out who the Messiah is. Because here's the problem. Peter, just like me and you, and the other 11 guys, Peter showed up with his own ideas about who the Messiah should be. And so for them to say, you are the Messiah, well, that's good. But what kind of Messiah? And so for the next season of ministry, Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, I need you to know that following me is harder than you thought. I'm actually not who you thought. I was. I'm Messiah, but Messiah needs to be redefined. I'm going to die. And Peter's like, time out, time out, time out. You can't die. Okay, so here's what they thought. Like in their world, from reading the Old Testament and from their history, they had a hope for Messiah. They thought that God was going to send an anointed king and that this Messiah was going to be a little bit like King David, like a general. He's going to be like George Washington. He was going to lead with the military, that he was going to set the people free. At this time, they'd been governed by Rome for a long time, and they're tired of it. They really thought that when God sent the Messiah, anointed by the Spirit, that he'd be raising up a warlord, a king, another politician, and that he would set them free, not from sin, but from servitude to the Romans. That was reinforced about 165 years before Jesus was born. There was a big revolt, a war, between Greeks and the Jews. At this time, the Greeks ruled them. And there was one... Jewish guy who showed himself to be bad to the bone. So there was a guy named Mattathias. He had a couple of kids. And one day these Greeks came into town with the army and the politicians. And they said, all right, you guys need to sacrifice to our Greek gods. Here's a pig. I need somebody to sacrifice this. We'll start the barbecue and we'll worship the Greek gods. Well, this one guy, he was a priest and his name was Mattathias. He was the family, the Maccabee family. He was a priest and he kind of thought this over. And finally, one guy from the crowd said, I'll do it. I'll sacrifice the pig so we can worship the pagan gods. And Mattathias flipped a switch and went bananas. He grabs a sword and he kills that guy and his boys are like, okay, dad. And so they start killing like the soldiers and the pagan priests that came to force their village to worship the Greek gods, ran them out of town. Well, the next thing you know, they started a war, a little civil war, a revolt called the Maccabean War. Well, this guy, Mattathias, his oldest and strongest son's name was Judas. Ever wonder why there were two disciples named Judas? Popular name. Why? Because this guy was bad to the bone. 
When his dad died, he left the war to Judas. Judas's nickname was the Hammer Maccabee. Maccabee means the hammer. And so they were nicknamed the Maccabee family because of Judas the hammer. Right? That's the guy you want to follow. So Judas the hammer led them essentially to a miraculous victory. And for a minute, they pushed out the pagans and they got to be in charge of themselves again, sort of. So for 160 years, the Messiah looked to them like David plus the hammer. And they just knew that when God sent his anointed dude, he was going to be a great king, a politician, and a wrestler. I mean, a general. And so when he looks at Peter and says, you are the rock, Peter's going, we're ready. Let's go. And then Jesus totally messed up his world when he said, guys, here's the game plan. Now that you know who I am, I can tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go to Jerusalem. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they're going to do all kind of nasty things to me, but when it's over, they're going to kill me. They'll put me in a tomb. My body will be a cold, dead corpse. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Don't lose hope. Once you look at how well my man Peter handled that news. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. By the way, do not rebuke Jesus. Not a good idea. Like, if you're looking at God saying, you shouldn't do that, uh, you're probably wrong, my friend. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. I'm the rock. We're going to build your church on me. I will protect you. This is not going to happen. So Jesus says, now that you know I'm Messiah, let's redefine Messiah. Messiah doesn't rule in glory. Messiah is going to sacrifice himself to save. I'm going to die. You need a heads up on that. Peter's first move is, come here, come here, come here, come here. I've read the history. That's not how it goes down. We're not, we're not okay with that plan. We don't want you to die. We want you to rule. So, in fact, we've already been talking about which one of us gets to sit on your right and which one of us gets to sit on your left in your glory. So let's don't mess this up. This will never happen to you, Lord. Peter's problem is the same as mine and yours. Peter is doing the same thing you do. Peter looked at Jesus, he sized him up, and he said, let me tell you who I want you to be. Jesus, my hopes and dreams for you are that you go in there and you stomp a mud hole in those Romans. You and I do the same thing when we make Jesus into our own image. And the reason we do it is because in the back of our minds, we know that we've got to follow this Jesus. So if a cross was his route, we know a cross is our route, and we're desperately looking for a way to dodge that. So when Jesus looks at Peter, and Peter's all in, and Jesus says, I'm going to die, I wonder if Peter's brain started sending off alarms, and he said, well, then what does that mean for me and us? So immediately, he's going back to the drawing board with Jesus. Let's rethink it. Let's start over. Messiah doesn't mean suffering. Turns out it did. And after this, next week, well, two weeks from now, in Easter, when you bring your neighborhood and the friends and kids you play ball with and everybody from your street and we gather on Easter Sunday, I want you to know I want to talk to you about taking up the cross and following me. Because Jesus basically tells Peter, you misunderstood the Messiah. To be the Messiah, you take up your cross and you follow me. I mean, it's, it does start with you and I coming to terms that we follow Jesus just as he really was. 
So in verse 22, Peter's trying really hard to talk Jesus out of a road of suffering. Are you aware that Christianity will involve some suffering? So Jesus planned to die and be raised, but Peter didn't. And I want to ask you to come to grips with that. Like if the version of Christianity that you're following is that Christianity was just kind of a religion to add to all the other things that you like, and this one thing you're going to bring in, God's going to serve you, you're going to be a part of a religion for a bit, you're going to come to church on Sundays, you're going to have a Bible, you're going to check Christian on a census, you'll even get baptized. But Christianity for you is just sort of a religion that you're going to add to your life resume so that you're a little bit better person like you're really not interested in following Jesus and obeying him you just want to say I have a faith system and it's a good one I need you to know that today you're guilty today you've walked in following the wrong Jesus you've messed it like you have turned Jesus into who you want him to be and today the main thing I want you to do at church is be willing to give that up and follow Jesus for who he is because following a phony Jesus it's easy but it's worthless it doesn't get you anything Like you don't see the Spirit of God moving you. You don't watch God transform your soul. You don't see Him send you on mission and watch Him transform other people's lives. You go with no testimony forward. Following a phony Jesus is fickle. Like it's fun, it's easy, but it's worthless. Give it up. I'm asking you today, would you trade? So the road of Christianity, it will include suffering. So in our mind, let's just play this out. When Peter hears that Christianity is going to include suffering, he brings Jesus aside and says, you got it wrong. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, you got it wrong, Rocky. Christianity does include suffering. And like today in the West, we become so addicted to our own comfort, to our easy life or to luxury, that when the path of following Jesus gets hard, we want to bail We want to be mad at God and say, I thought you were supposed to make this easy for me. And God looks and said, in what Bible did I say I would make it easy for you? Not the one I gave you. Like we love the health and wealth gospel because it serves us. It's just not the gospel Jesus taught. Take up your cross, die to yourself, follow me. It's worthless at the end. I want you to know that following Jesus may include some suffering. In fact, 11 of, 11 of the disciples died unnatural deaths. Judas took his own life. John lived to an older age, we think. But the other guys were martyred for their faith. In other words, in the first generation, Christianity wasn't easy. When did it get easy? Like church history is filled with stories of people that gave up everything to follow Christ or died to follow Jesus. Did it get easy when it migrated to the West? Or when did it get easy? I think it gets easy in every generation when we start to make Jesus in our own image. I want you to know it's hard. And here's why. First of all, because I think you should know what you're signing up for. If there's anybody here today that's not a believer, but you feel God stirring in your heart, And you recognize that there's more to this world than what we see. And today you're actually thinking you're ready to jump on board with God. That you want to follow God's plan for your life. You're ready for something new. You want to trade in all of your life as it is for all of the life God wants you to have. You want Him to be in control. You're ready for the great exchange. You want to say, God, I want to give this up. What do you have for me? I want you to know what you're getting into. 
if that's you today, I want you to know that Christianity might be tough for you. Like that it won't get magically better tomorrow. Now there is a peace that passes understanding. There is a joy that can't be quenched. But it's not easy. It's not easy to forgive people. It's not easy to go the extra mile to turn the other cheek. It's not easy to follow the teachings of Jesus. And if you're ever ridiculed or mocked for obeying the Lord, that's not fun or easy. I just want you to know what you're really signing up for. I don't want you to walk through the baptistry thinking you're just making yourself a little more appealing to the culture. I want you to know that you're in the midst of the great exchange. And when you give God everything you've got in exchange for everything He's got for you, sometimes that will be hard. The second thing I want you to know about that is that might be good news for some of you because some of you might say, Oh, great, because I thought I was blowing it. My life's been super hard this year, and I thought I might be doing something wrong. You're probably not doing something wrong. Like for Paul the Apostle, when he started persecuting the church, he was a hero. When he stopped and started building the church, he was stoned. Sometimes following Jesus when the hard stuff comes. I think it's better for people to know on the front end, that Christianity might be hard, that it might include suffering. I kind of think that if you know that on the front end, it's going to be better for you the whole time. So I want to offer you an appeal in this sermon. Is there anybody here today who's not following God? You're far from God, but you'd like to follow God. I want you to know up front that if you say yes to this Jesus that Peter was talking with, it's not always easy, it might be hard. Are you still in you up for that? It's worth it. I think you should be. It's better. When we look at verse 23, Peter's in the corner rebuking Jesus, giving him a better plan, and trying uh, again to see if he can get heaven to follow the will of a person instead of a person following the will of heaven. And in verse 23, I want you to look at Jesus' sharp response. This is where Peter's day goes from his best day ever to one of his worst. Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wait a minute, I thought I was a rock. And you were. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What's going on there? Don't you think that's a little hard? I mean, wasn't Jesus a little tough on Peter? I mean, name-calling's fine when it's rocky. Name-calling hurts when it's Satan, right? So Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. And I want you to know why he said that. I mean, not only is Satan the enemy of God, his name coming from the Hebrew word for the accuser, the one that wants to stand in front of God and accuse you of all your sins, even though Christ has cleansed you of them. The one that wants to point out your faults, lie and deceive you. Why would Jesus call Peter... Satan. And this popped out to me this week when I was reading the text. When you read a little slower, you recognize that the last time that Jesus said words like these, he didn't say behind me, but the last time he says, go away, Satan, instead of go behind me, Satan. The last time he told Satan to go, it was in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. You probably know this, before Jesus started his ministry to save the world, he went out to be tested for 40 days by the devil in the wilderness. And the last of those temptings, those testings in the Gospel of Matthew, the devil looks at Jesus and he makes him a golden offer. He says, look, Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth 
and all you got to do is bow down to me. Pop quiz, church. What did Jesus come to do? He came to save the earth, to save the world, to save all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil basically is saying, we both know what's in your future. We both know there's a cross at the end of this road. You and I have read the gospel. We know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed and sweat drops like blood fell from his face as he asked God, if it be your will, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. We know that the night before the cross, Jesus wasn't gung-ho. We can't imagine the burden of taking the world's sin on himself while he's slaughtered and humiliated. So in Matthew 4, before it all got started, the devil said, you want a shortcut? Would you like to avoid the cross? I'll give them all to you right now. I'll back off. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. All it takes is you bow down and worship me. I want to see you. I want your Father in heaven to see that. And I'll give them all to you. And you won't have to go to the cross. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Get away, Satan. And the next time that Jesus was tempted to dodge the cross was by the rock. When Peter said, we're not going to let that happen. We're not going to let you suffer and die. And who knows what's beating inside Jesus' heart as he says, you don't know how much I dread that day, but I will not dodge it. And in the next sermon I preach to you, when he says, take up your cross and follow me. Like he knows the cross is waiting for him. And you and I have got to come to grips with the fact that our faith starts at a cross too. We really do die to ourselves. Don't take a cheap version of Christianity that has no suffering, no sacrifice, and does not have the great exchange. All that I am for all that you want me to have. Peter says, no, you won't die. And Jesus strongly says, get behind me, Satan. The last time I heard those words, it was from him. And now your mind is set on earthly things. A life full of pleasure and comfort. Glory and victory. Success without suffering. And you're trying to tempt me away from the cross. Get behind me. There is no Christianity. There are no souls saved if I don't suffer. Jesus says, get behind me. Christianity began with the death of Jesus. And for you, Christianity begins with the death to self. That you acknowledge the cross. But for a lot of us, it means that we have to rethink our expectations. When Peter talked to Jesus, he really wanted Jesus to be a different kind of Messiah. He had made Jesus in his own image. And Peter had to wrestle with that. Gang, if we want to make Jesus in our own image... I want you to hear this very clearly. It will ruin your sanctification. In other words, every day that you're living, you should be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus until the day we gather around with your family at your funeral and remember what God did through you and in you. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's a celebration. But your life is a process of being made into the image of Jesus. But if you make Jesus into your own image, 
then there is no growth for you. There's no change. You shortcut and handicap the process. You'll never have to forgive because the Jesus you follow doesn't have to forgive. You can continue in your racism because Jesus isn't concerned with your racism. You can ignore the poor if your Jesus doesn't care for the poor. If you make Jesus after your own image, then you won't grow in Christ anymore because you're only trying to grow into your own reflection, which you already are. If you make Jesus in your own image, you handicap your sanctification. And our church, our two pillars right now, are a geographic saturation of the pine belt with the gospel and a spiritual formation that looks like lives being changed. Your life won't be changed if Jesus has been made into your own image. So gang, here's how this sermon ends. Peter, standing there embarrassed out of his mind. Jesus just called him Satan and told the rock to get out of his way. He's become a scandal to him, a stumbling block. Well, maybe you and I are in Peter's shoes. Maybe we have softened Jesus. Or maybe we've made Jesus into a hypocritical religious jerk. But look at your heart and your life. Are you following the real Jesus of the Gospels? The Gospels that are true from beginning to end? Or have you made Jesus comfortable or just like you? Are you willing today to trade your weak image of Jesus for the real one? The one that's going to cause you to follow Him even in hard things. The one that's going to make you forgive when you don't want to forgive. The one that's going to make you want to live in community when you want to be all by yourself. Are you willing to follow the Jesus that's going to look up at you when we complain and say, are you kidding me? Take up your cross and come on. Quit whining. we got work to do. Do you want a pitiful little poor phony Jesus, a counterfeit? Or do you want the real one? The one that can change your life now and forever. The one that can save your soul and souls around you. Do you want a counterfeit? Or do you want a king? And as we stand with Peter, I want you to know the rest of the story. Peter considered this Christ that said, I'm going to go and die. And a second time, Peter said, I'll never let it happen. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, brother, on the night that Jesus died, Peter's desperately trying to lurk in the courtyard to stay close to the king to see if he can stop this wheel from turning. And on the cross, Christ dies. Far from a desperate and heartbroken Peter. But in the resurrection, Peter is the first one to run into that empty tomb. On the beach, the Sea of Galilee, Peter's the one that three times gets to say, I love you. And here's Peter, Jesus saying, well, then feed the sheep, bud. Take up your cross and let's do this thing. There was a day in Peter's life when he stood before the same Sanhedrin that killed Jesus. And he said, do whatever you want. I am not going to stop following Jesus, the real one. There was a day when he wasn't scared to die. There was a moment, and we don't know when it was, when Peter stopped following a phony Jesus and said, if dying's in the cards, deal me in. I want to be where you are. I'm asking you, church, are we a church that's built on the Christ that God sent to save us? Or are we building our Christianity in our homes on a counterfeit Christ, too weak to save? I'm going to ask you to recover the Jesus of the Gospels. Follow Him.
till he calls you home. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit would move in our church, that every one of us, Lord, would hear what we need to hear from you this morning. That we would follow Christ, that we would love you, Lord, and not be ashamed of you. Willing to serve you through the hard things and the easy things. Delight, Lord, that we would delight in you. God, that we'd be proud to be persecuted in your namesake. That we drink deeply of the joy of our obedience to you. Lord, that we would lay down all of our idols, even ourselves, and take up our cross and follow you. Lord, if there's a brother or a sister that's here today who's not saved, who's never given you control of their lives, who's never been born into your family, I ask today, Lord, that you'd move their heart and that right now they pray and ask you for salvation. They give their lives to you and celebrate their baptism to show that they're born again to follow you for the rest of their days. But Lord, I repent with my sisters and brothers God, we know we're guilty. We know that we've softened you. We know we've muted your commands. We know that we've fashioned you into our own image. And we've used your name to accomplish our purposes or defend our agendas. And we repent of it. We drop it. We pray, God, that in your spirit you'd show us clearly who you are. And that we would follow you every footstep. That we would follow you through the road of suffering and the road of salvation that we would glory and rejoice in you and gladly give you our strength and one day, Lord, our lives. We ask your Spirit's blessing as we try to follow Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray.